Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Good day, good night. Good. Welcome to Scuderia F1 Podcast, a podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly on the line as well. Brand brand new studio. If you are listening to us live on YouTube or, or even not live, even after, we got ourselves some new digs, some new looks. And uh, you can see Mark on the television. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. Brand new season, brand new toys, brand new studio, brand new cars, brand new yeah. everything. It's a, it's a great time of year. Uh, the only thing that wasn't new is we still got Sebastian Vettel winning the Australian Grand Prix, which was a, a <laughs> bit of a deja vu from 2017. Indeed. Uh, lucky is the word I, I would use. Very, very lucky is how I would describe this victory by Sebastian Vettel, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody expected that. And when it was unfolding, it was a little bit unfortunate because uh, those of us up here in Canada do get the the Sky Sports feed via TSN. Oh, don't and get me started. Just at that point, they were just kind of <laughs> zooming in and out. They kind of do this picture-in-picture thing whenever they go to the commercials. And I don't blame them for doing it, but the timing was a little bit unfortunate, and it just kind of you know, came back right at the right time, and it was like, will he, won't he? And he just snuck out of the pits just, what, about two or three car lengths in front of Lewis Hamilton? Yeah, well, this all started with the two has well, with the rear left mecha- 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 mechanician, mechanician, this guy, mechanic, the mechanic, there we go. I'll get my pronunciation right. The mechanic that uh, could not tell the other people that uh, it wasn't working in time and outside the two laps, Haas is no more. And that was terrible because they were both in the top 10. But this gave Ferrari such an opportunity and uh, yeah, it was kind of weird because it wasn't the picture in picture. And that picture in picture lasted about three minutes. The two Haas cars had time to break down in the same picture in picture from TSN. Ah, oh, I was so mad. I wanted to throw I, things on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think so too. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, you, you look at uh, just the progression of Haas Grand Prix over the past two years. 2016, obviously a brand new team, brand new setup, basically. And I mean, they, they started out, they had some very good races, the first uh, several Grand Prix, and then they kind of regressed or maybe leveled out, maybe not regressed, but they kind of leveled out to where you'd expect a, a brand new Formula One team. And then last year, they didn't really get past that that sort of plateau that they set in 2016. So when they came out and it was obvious that they were pretty much the best of the rest. I mean, yeah. they, they definitely seemed to be on par with the with the Red Bulls, and they weren't really all that far behind the Ferraris either. I mean, you look at uh, the, the time of uh, Sebastian Vettel, who was third on the grid. He set a 121.838. Max Verstappen set a 121.879. 
And, well, I actually, I, he's a, <laughs> Kevin Magnuson was a little bit further back. I was switching my times around. Yeah, he yeah. was actually at 123.187. So, I, I mean, there was obviously a bit a bit of a gap there between um, Max Verstappen and Kevin Magnussen, but nonetheless, very impressive. And then his teammate, Roman Grosjean, to, to round out row three in sixth position. And, I mean, he was only about two-tenths of a second behind his teammate. And, I mean, they were flying pretty good there in the, uh, the opening stages of the race. But what a bizarre sequence of events. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. First of all, you had the left rear tire. Magnuson's car didn't get fitted properly. He drove off, and the mechanic there waving his arms not to release the car, but they did anyways. And then a couple of laps later, before I don't even think Magnuson had made it back to the pits yet on the back of the scooter. I think it was still uh, the scooter, yeah. And uh, yeah. the mechanic was uh, in the same sequence. You see the mechanic go into the private room and slam the door like, oh, something's not right here. Then you see a few turns later, Magnuson pulling off on the side like, yeah, seems to be some damage on the left rear wing, uh, left rear wheel, the suspension. And Magnuson was like, it just says suspension damage. That's what would the sensor show up if a uh, bolt is not screwed in correctly to fix the wheel. It does give a suspension failure alarm to the driver and to people on pit lane uh, because that's what it does. If it's not screwed properly, uh, automatically it'll break the suspension about just a few hundred meters. And that's exactly what happened. So Magnuson saying, oh, it's just suspension failure led to the mechanics maybe not double checking the line quick enough. And the same thing happened to Grosjean just two laps later. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely amazing because this time it was the left front and the same thing. The uh, the, the gunman on the uh, on that left front wheel waving his arms frantically for, for them to not release the car. The car goes out and you just almost had a feeling that that one was going to end the same way. And again, he made it not very much fur- further down the track and then just parked it in a very awkward position. And just the pictures on the television, you see Gunther Steiner in the pits with his head in his hands and the body language of poor Roman Grosjean, oh. same thing when he got out. I mean, they, they were both besides themselves and it, it was so disappointing to see. And what is interesting, I mean, Steiner is basically chalking both of these incidents up to human error because apparently the hardware, the wheel nuts, the wheel guns, all that is the same, basically the same equipment that they've been using for the past couple of years. However, they just haven't put in the man hours, I guess, uh, for the uh, for practicing, and that blows my mind. I was gonna say, is that my? I was gonna say, is that my hypothesis too? Like, is it just a a lack of practice? Is it a new crew together? I don't know. We would have to do some research, and it's not necessarily easy information to find. Is it the same crew that last year for Haas in the pits? If so. That's- yeah, I'm not 100% sure either, Kevin, but I know that uh, Steiner just said, did say that they hadn't put in enough hours practicing. So if they admit that, it means that it's even worse than that. We all know how F1 team talks and how they actually always uh, lower the actual problem itself. They never truly tell you everything, right? So it means they barely practice pit because those were the two first pit stops of the entire season for Haas. At yes. least competitively. Yep. So maybe they really didn't practice enough in the off season pitting. Well, I mean, it, it really is. Uh, I mean, just the, the thinnest of margins because I mean, the, the stops themselves were actually fairly quick and competitive to get them out. I mean, 
still, I mean, if you get 75% of the wheels on properly, then that's uh, obviously not good enough because that, that fourth wheel was the problem on both cars. And it, it really is such a fine margin uh, just uh, for, for them to get those uh, wheel nuts on and get them on properly and not cross-thread them. And I mean, uh, I don't know what the odds are for it to happen twice in one race, let alone twice to the same team, but it, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And I don't know what they can really do to rectify it because, I mean, we're in the season now. I mean, we have a week off here over the Easter season or the Easter long weekend. And then it's uh, off to Bahrain in about 10 days from now. So how much time are they really going to be able to practice uh, between now and then? That's uh, that's a very good question, but very disappointing because uh, as we were both saying just now, I mean, the, the car looks good. The car, car looks like it's handling good. I mean. They obviously have speed with that uh, Ferrari engine. And I mean, when, when and we can start talking about this too in a moment here, just there, there's been, at least in the first race of the season, and obviously it's a very small sample size, but just the reshuffling of the order. Yeah. And you see that Renault also seems to have progressed a little bit forward. Haas obviously seems to have uh, progressed a little bit forward. Uh, McLaren has made an incremental move forward. <laughs> crazy, I think that they... Uh, a crazy step forward for McLaren, but we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that for sure because yeah. I have a lot of good... Good things to say about McLaren, both on the color scheme and on the performance. Uh, one thing that I was uh, one that I wanted to mention is too uh, with that hot situation. The system that gives the green light or red light to the guy who's holding the trolley for the car. I know it's not the right term. I know it's not a trolley, but you all understand what I mean. That system yep. is all automatic. When the nut is almost locked in. When all fours and the car is ready to go, there's a green light or a red light that lights up in the guy's helmet. And he lets it go. It's so automatic that even if you have the green light in your helmet, it's hard to, if you have a guy in front of you waving, telling you, no, don't go, don't go. Like this was the case twice for Haas. You're so drilled to do things automatically once that green light hit. It's almost waiting for, it's like a reaction test. You know those reaction tests that you test your, re your reaction time with lights that you hit on a wall? You're getting ready for that light, and as soon as you see the slimmer int of light coming from that source, you hit the damn thing. It's a bit the same thing here. You're so drilled to activate your muscle as soon as that green light goes in your your uh, your helmet that it just goes automatically. You don't really even have time to check if everything's okay. The light goes green, down goes a car, and he's off. And I think that's what happened twice there too yeah and that's what it is kevin it's uh, it absolutely comes down to the training and just reactions everybody does their bit and they move on and you know you have a very small window in which you're working in between two and three seconds and if even one of those guys around the car is off by a fraction of a second it all goes wrong and un unfortunately that was the the case for haas but i think it just goes to show you just in general just how amazing Formula One is and the whole pit stop phenomena. I mean, it really is a phenomena when you when when you look at it, when you have 20 guys around the cars and they're able to, to get the car, get both jacks underneath the front and the back and have all four tires taken off, four new tires put on, put the wheel nuts on and that car basically is rolling almost uh, <laughs> in the same instant that it comes to a, a full stop. I mean, it is absolutely one of the most impressive things in any sport uh, that you can see anywhere. And, you know, just to maybe finally put uh, underline how unfortunate uh, that this was for Haas and for the fans. Well, I guess everybody, if you're except for the fans of uh, Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel, okay. but uh, just to add a little bit of injury 
in Tuhas is uh, that they were also fined 10,000 euros yeah. for a double unsafe release of both of their cars, which, I mean, if you're going by the letter of the law, that's exactly what happened, even though you didn't have tires bouncing down the, the, the track there at Albert Park. But that's that basically was what it was. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a double whammy for Haas. On top of having two cars in the top 10, on your way to collecting points, on your way to collecting money from sponsors and all the investment and the improved partnership with Ferrari and their clients' teams. Uh, if we remember to late last year, uh, when it was announced that Sober will be still having the Ferrari engine, it was announced too that Ferrari will be more open to work with the drivetrain and gearboxes and other parts of the Ferrari driveshaft system with other teams, Alfa Romeo, Sauber, and Haas, those two biggest recipients of their help, all the only ones, and truly this has been seen, yes, the chassis of the Sauber is garbage, so that's why the car is not that fast, let's be clear here, but when you have a decent chassis like Haas that does have more resources than a team like Sauber that does have its own wind tunnel and a lot of engineers working in different racing but a lot of experience as a whole as a racing company you see the benefit of that with the power and the better relationship with Ferrari having results it's too bad that the both cars did not finish further than the 25th lap but well, considering only five cars didn't finish the yeah. Australian Grand Prix two and both of your stuff. cars are two of them, that's, that's really not a, a very great way to start the season. No, it's not. But you do see the results still in the pace and the qualifying and yep. the pace in the first 23, 25 laps, depending on Grosjean or Magnussen. You do see the results of that better partnership with Ferrari when it goes to the drivetrain aspect. Yeah, Absolutely. So where, where should we go now, well, Kevin? Well, we barely talked about Vettel. Plenty of Vettel. things to talk about. Sebastian Vettel? Yes, let's talk about Sebastian Vettel. Where do, where do you want to start? We were talking about how it happened, and we went on the, on the tangent on the Haas, but the Haas thing created the perfect storm for Sebastian Vettel to take over the race lead. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, under virtual safety car, because after Grosjean uh, pulled uh, on the side of the racetrack, virtual safety car was called, and with that virtual safety car... Everyone on this track is kept at same distance and ro rolls at the same kind of pace. But not in the pit lane. You can go faster in the pit lane. So it's almost a free pit stop. And lo and behold, it's 15 second gain. When you have a virtual safety car and you go into the pit, you gain 50 seconds on the guy running in front of you in Australia in the pit lane because... The limitation of the pit lane is higher in the speed than the limitation on the track when it's under VSC. So you gain about 15 seconds at Albert Park. The software of Mercedes was saying, you got 15 seconds, you're good. But they had 12, 11.5 seconds actually. On Vettel, the software made a mistake and Vettel pitted, gained 15 seconds and finished in front of Hamilton. Yeah, but talk yeah, amazing. I mean, we were just talking just now about uh, the, the openness and uh, frankness of uh, Gunther Steiner to admit human error and just the fact that they're not polished enough on their pit stops as a problem for, for both of their cars. Then you turn around and you look at the, the team in Formula One. I mean, Mercedes obviously has been the team to beat the past three or four seasons for them to admit that it was a software flaw 
that uh, that caused that uh, it was obviously quite an embarrassing moment because I mean Lewis was in control of that Grand Prix I mean he wasn't miles and miles down the track but he was in front of Kimi Raikkonen uh, going into that first round of pit stops by what it was about three and a half seconds or something I mean comfortably in front he wasn't being pushed I think he was just going just as fast as he he needed to and then to have it all switched around underneath that virtual safety car and then ultimately the safety car uh, period there was absolutely amazing. And uh, again, I mean, Lewis just wasn't able to put a move on Sebastian Vettel, even though he was quite uh, quite keen to do so. But the other thing I thought that really stood out for me in the moment was when Lewis said over race radio, was like, hey, guys, how come you didn't tell me that uh, that uh, Vettel yeah. was going to pit? What's going on, guys? What's going on? Did I make a mistake? What's happening? Well, I, I mean, he must have been absolutely flabbergasted when he was going down the pit straight and then all of a sudden he saw Vettel <laughs> emerge from the pit lane in front of him. I mean, obviously, with the virtual safety car deployed or engaged or whatever you want to call it, because it obviously isn't a real safety car on the track at that point. But when when it is a, safety, a virtual safety car, period, there is only a, a maximum amount of uh, speed that you go can go. So it wasn't like he could put the hammer down exactly. and uh, try and just uh, get that little bit of distance. So, I mean, he I guess he would have at least liked to have known what was going on. And, uh, yeah, not the greatest way for to open the season for, for Lewis Hamilton. But, you know, I, I was thinking afterwards that perhaps just in the broader picture, if you're just maybe not a fan of Vettel or Hamilton, that perhaps that it just maybe just turns things on its head yeah. a little bit. Because I think if Hamilton wins that race, then right from the beginning, it's like, oh, here we go again, another season of uh, Mercedes dominance. So at least from that point of view, it, it, it's made things interesting. And it's going to be really fascinating to watch how the teams react. Because, I mean, Vettel was pretty frank. I I, I mean, when, when have we seen this much honesty in Formula One? I mean, another Never. guy that basically put it all out there after the race was uh, Sebastian Vettel, who flat out said, we didn't really deserve to to win this race where the, the car isn't quite there yet. We're still learning some things about it. We still have some some things to sort out. We're not quite as good as the Mercedes. And I was just uh, all these all these open and honest comments from from guys all over the place is just something I'm not new, used to. I mean, it's refreshing. It's great. But it, uh, it it definitely set up a very interesting scenario going into Bahrain in two weeks. No, it did. And let's not forget, all this would not have been possible if Kimi Raikkonen would not have pitted first of the two Ferraris. So the amount of things needed to happen correctly for this to to happen to unfold, it's impossible to have predicted this if you're Ferrari. It's impossible to have predicted this if you're Mercedes. So it's the perfect storm again, and it happened, and Ferrari were able to take advantage of it. And the decision by Ferrari to pit Kimi Raikkonen, giving the perception of favorable treatment picketing him first but giving the outside chance for Vettel to maybe catch Hamilton on that instance and what Nico Rosberg mentioned on Sky Sports after the race saying look Kimi Raikkonen had no chance of catching Lewis Hamilton anyways in weird circumstances so why not just be the conservative way? You pit him first, you give him faster tires, and like, go see what you can do. And then you have the outside chance with Vettel that you might be able to finagle something if there's circumstances that happened, which they did, and it did pay off. Take some, it, it takes some 
a lot of confidence in your decision to decision making abilities to do those two in a race live and both kind of panned out yeah and as that was all unfolding and Kimmy was in second place there I I kept thinking back to Monaco last year when they famously pitted Vettel they they gave him the preferential pit stop and pitted him first and obviously launched him into the lead and ultimately won him that Grand Prix and I kept thinking to myself if it was any other team and it was if any other drivers then you could probably say or see that they they wouldn't do it a second time but a, until Raikkonen actually went in first, it was still nagging at me because if any uh, team would <laughs> go down that road a second time, it would be Ferrari, right? But uh, oh, yeah. it definitely worked out in their favor, definitely not in Kimmy's favor. But it was disappointing. I thought that once he switched onto the soft tires, he just was not competitive. Um, Vettel obviously had a little bit more pace, but Kimmy was just kind of, floating around there in, in third place. And uh, obviously, Ricardo caught up to him in the later stages, but he obviously uh, couldn't uh, find a, a, a way around him. So, I mean, a, a first and a third, a double podium for the Ferraris, a great way for them to, to start the season. But still, I mean, I, I've said it about five or six times already. It's, <laughs> it's still such a bizarre situation. I can't really quite get uh, my head around it. But w- what about now the, uh, the other obvious omission yep. From that uh, that that podium, or perhaps that top four, and that would be Botas. Lewis Hamilton's teammate. Yeah, Ooh, Valtteri Bottas had a big weekend. shot. I didn't yeah. see him. Uh, I saw him on Saturday during the qualifying, and then I saw him in the wall. I didn't really see him since, Mark. Uh, it was kind of hard to see him in the race. Yeah, well, I mean, he started all the way down in 15th position, and even in the opening stages of the Grand Prix, he didn't really move up. And we should just mention right now is that during the entire Grand Prix, there was only five overtaking uh, maneuvers prompting a whole bunch of things to be said. And just recently, just today, Ross Braun, obviously the sporting uh, director for uh, for the Formula One management, uh, the Liberty Media's, I guess, the, the, the practical arm of uh, Liberty Media's uh, conglomerates or... Uh, whatever you want to call it. So he said that they must make a proper and concentrated effort to solve the overtaking uh, problem because that that was quite uh, disappointing. I mean, obviously, Melbourne is not a track that we see a lot of overtaking to begin with. But even for a track like that, I thought there was a, a, a real noticeable lack of uh, of overtaking i mean there were plenty yeah. of guys sliding off the track and a lot of guys trying to to make some looks here or there but nobody really got close enough we to even know. really try and make a make a movie even max verstappen i mean a guy that he is tried. found <laughs> he, he finds places to pass almost anywhere and uh, any time uh, was not able to to make his way uh, up through the field i mean he was complaining of oversteer right from the beginning and he spun out very unmax like yeah. into turn one there and he was lucky too i mean he basically did a 360 went onto the grass and and kept going and wasn't uh, collected by anyone but uh, he he lost several spots before he got the car pointed the right direction down the track again no it, it was interesting too because there was some some overtaking in the beginning of the race like after the the start and the coverage was like oh we already seen more overtaking in this race and in last year's race they would. They didn't know at that time that that was the last overtake of the entire race. <laughs> they just talked about. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned uh, Botas, and I'll come back to the lack of overtake in a second. But I wanted to mention Botas' absence from the battle up front 
cost the Mercs as well. Because Hamilton was quote-unquote isolated, Ferrari yep. had more strategy available to them. And the fact that Bottas was not there to maybe slow down a Ferrari if he would have been in second or third place compared to a Ferrari, you know, it would have been useful at that point. And that's a shame that Bottas, because of his stubbornness to try to do a fast lap in Q3, when he could have just... You missed it. You missed that turn. Don't try to overcorrect and keep it down and be stubborn about it. You missed it. You missed the apex. Protect the car. Do another run at the turn. You had time. There was like seven minutes left in the session or something. Twelve minutes left in the session. So it was a big mistake during qualifying by Bottas. And in my mind, it might not have been technically the case, but I think it cost the Mercs the win on Sunday. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, they're obviously used to having two cars right up the front there. And I mean, that really gives them a lot of flexibility with how they they conduct their 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 strategy throughout the the, the race. But they were really, for lack of a better term, uh, stuck between uh, a Ferrari sandwich. And yeah. well, I mean, it wasn't like uh, Lewis was really fending off uh, Kimi Raikkonen, but definitely they, they didn't have any other options for Bottas to, to maybe try and get throw himself into the mix there and and uh really help the team out so that was uh very very tricky for mercedes and i mean they have always had cars up at uh up at the front there and i mean this is one of the rare uh occurrences that they haven't and i think this is really going to be a make or break year well maybe a make or break couple of months for for valtteri bottas and his <laughs> uh, career at mercedes because yeah. I, I mean in in 2017 i think he did a very good job to come back and and come back to mercedes for 2018 but i think he's got to deliver more uh, this year than he did last year i think that perhaps mercedes don't want to get in another sort of hamilton rosberg situation that they had for the a couple of years there and i mean it was pretty tense and pretty nasty and pretty oh, yeah. toxic a lot of times i mean where it came to the point that they said well you know if you boys don't behave you know one of you steps out of line and, and costs us a race or a championship or whatever we're going to terminate your contract and and throw you out i mean the the hate between the two was real the the competition between the two was real and i think that they really pushed each other I mean, probably uh, Lewis pushed uh, uh, Rosberg more. I think it motivated him more rather than the other way around, considering that, you know, head to head, obviously Hamilton is a better driver, faster driver than uh, the Nico Rosberg. And I think Nico's probably better than most on the grid, or at least during the years that uh, he was racing. And so, I mean, they won, what, uh, four or three world championships uh, or four? Yeah, three world championships uh, when they when when they were partnered up there and uh, three uh, constructors world championships. So that was great. But I mean, obviously, it was uh, very difficult for the Mercedes management to, to handle. And I mean, Botas doesn't have that kind of personality. I mean, he's kind of a more laid back kind he's of guy. Finished. I mean, Hamilton says what a great teammate he is, but I think he's got to step it up, though. I think he really needs to be like the ultimate team guy. I think that if he's not pushing for the world championship himself is that he's a solid number two and that if uh, Lewis is the guy that is in the lead of the world championship, that the next name behind there is Valtteri Bottas. So I think he's got his work cut out for him. I really do. Bottas for Mercs to be successful this year will need to be what I call the buffer. He will need to be buffer Bottas. 
He needs to get <laughs> ready to rumble. He will be the buffer between Hamilton and the rest. When that happens, yeah. Hamilton's long gone. Nobody will ever pick him up. And then you make the buffer work for you. All right, Valtteri, slow down a bit. Pack him up real tight behind you. Lewis has gone in front. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I saw that uh, you made quite uh, quite a big statement. Oh, well, that's my bold prediction, and then I was going <laughs> to come your and bold prediction. It. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned it was going to be a difficult few months for Bottas. You didn't say a year, because in my mind, he's going to fail. He's going to have difficulty. Why? Because it's between the ears. I don't think he's strong enough. Nothing to do with the guy itself. The pressure's mounting. And the reason behind his crash on Saturday is him not facing up that pressure. Because at that corner, when he knew the times he made before were not that great, and he was already in trouble in qualifying, he pushed it too hard at the wrong time. There's 20 F1 driver in the entire world. You are not allowed to do that kind of mistake. Not that especially he, if you're driving a Mercedes. Especially if you're driving the best car out of the 20. Well, the yeah. 10 different cars. So that was unacceptable if you're Total Wolf. Remember how he, he still slammed the... He did the famous Total Wolf slam. He's careful, <laughs> though, because he, he broke his hand in the offseason, so he can't slam as hard. But uh, <laughs> he did slam it. And that mistake by Bottas made me think at that exact moment. And I cannot shake that, that feeling since then. Yep, he's not finishing the season there. There's Verline that's still there. He's a reserve driver for Merckx. That doesn't have a, a drive this year. But he's a reserve and he has experience. Could he do better than Bottas? I don't know. I quite think that Verline did not help his career over the last two years. By driving a not good car, not making it good, not even making it better, like just driving around a garbage can, does not necessarily make you a, a more valuable driver to the, the eyes of your bosses. But for me, if it's not Verline, there's a guy called Robert Kubiksa, who's the only guy who ever made anything happen with this trash of Williams. I know I'm being quite uh, quite hard on William, but uh, when the 18-year-old driver tells you that your chassis is not good. What does he know exactly? So if he can d- decipher this, it's because it's truly terrible. And for Williams, when your entire goal is just to make a good chassis because that's what you do, this is a big failure. Yeah, and uh, you made a bold prediction a little bit earlier. I'm going to make a, maybe not a, a bold prediction, but maybe a bold conspiracy theory. We all know that uh, Total Wolf and the Verstappens are, are good friends and it seems that there were several times last year when the rumor mill kicked into overdrive oh, when uh, Total Wolf was seen visiting the, the Verstappens in their motor motor home or vice versa at a, at a Grand Prix. And Lewis has been dropping hints. He did it again this winter that, you know, maybe in the next year or two years that uh, he's going to, to hang up his helmet and his uh, driving gloves and, and call, full, that call time on his uh, Formula One career. And if you look at a guy that whose name has been thrown out there a lot of times over the past couple of years as a potential world champion, and we've seen Max's quality, would that not be a natural kind of successor or, or, or a guy that you would want racing a Mercedes potentially when you have, for now, a four-time world champion and Lewis Hamilton, 
who's still there, but maybe might not be next year or the year after when oh. he finally decides, hey, you know, guys, I've, I've enjoyed my time in F1. I've won multiple world championships and it's time for me to move on and do something different Mark, for my life. I, I mean, wouldn't that be like a, a great yes. fit for Mercedes and, and Verstappen? It so will, I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there based on I, nothing other than logic and maybe a bit of gut instinct. <laughs> I'm going to take this and uh, lights were going off in my mind when you were saying this. And here's a... <laughs> Here's just a few facts here, okay? I'm going to throw those facts at you, and then I'm going to tell you my hypothesis. All right, R- let her rip. Red Let's Bull has a contract with Renault to be a client team until 2019. Danny Ricardo's contract with Red Bull finishes this year. Christian Horner has been open talking last year about what potential engine they could have in the next few years, saying nothing's out of the question nothing is off the table it could be ferrari it could be marks it could be aston martin if they get their things in gear to make an engine for 2020 2021 but they need this to happen for 2019 so for red bull and for mercs both needs things if lewis hamilton wins number five he's retiring at the end of the season or maybe botas screws up one time too many this season and we have a Carlos Sainz part two type trade with Danny Ricardo going to the Mercs for some money and Verline or something. Like they're going to go drive a Red Bull and they're going to terminate his drive contract and just go to Red Bull and we're clear of you, which the Mercs will be happy about. But on top of it, Mercs will be okay. We'll sign a contract to give you engines starting next year and you can be good. But we'll keep this championship and we're having Ricardo to be the lead driver next year with Mercedes. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, there are so many funny things that uh, that can happen in Formula One, and 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 some people might kind of laugh and chuckle to hear that. But the the, the caveat is uh, to to that is that just because you think it's outrageous and it might not happen in Formula One doesn't mean that it won't. I mean, look at twenty seventeen, Mark. Look at the Renault, Sauber, and Toro Rosso. On the oh, yeah. debacle across the board. Exactly. Who would have thought that uh, one team would have stripped of their best assets and their engine replaced by just spare parts, basically, at Toro Rosso. <laughs> and Renault and Red Bull got better. So who knows? Well, it, well you know, talking about that now, I mean, wasn't that uh, a, a weird thing? I mean, pure, poor Pierre Gasly didn't uh, last very long before he had problems with his. And Brendan Hartley finished a lap down. The only car lapped at, uh, at Albert Park, and he was uh, 15th. Yeah. And uh, those uh, Toro Rosos didn't really look all that great. But I think the, the, the one guy that was relieved to see the Toro Rosos <laughs> struggling was Alonso. Fernando Alonso. I think We're that's... Uh, that, yeah, yeah, we are getting there. <laughs> and uh, But just before we go to Toro Rosso, you know the F1 season truly has started when the Honda, the first Honda engine of the season blows up. There we go. <laughs> season has started. Yeah, it took only, what, about 15 laps or so? Maybe not even that? <laughs> Barely. Yeah, anyways. Uh, let's talk about Fernando Alonso before we start our lively critique, our, our fashion statement section of the Scuderia F1 podcast. Once a year, we look at all the cars. And this year, if you're listening to the audio version of the show and the podcast version, I suggest you uh, transition to the video version, which is available on YouTube, youtube.com slash sports podcast network on our Scuderia F1 podcast page on Facebook and as well on our YouTube page of Scuderia F1 podcast. Uh, you can watch the 
live version or the video version which will display the library as uh, as well as talking about them and we can look at them and see what we like and not but mark let's finish with fernando alonso nando with his best results since 2016 and the uh, as many points for mclaren in one day than 2017 as a whole well, I think that uh, even though uh, <laughs> you, you might not be a McLaren fan or an Alonso fan, I think that, that maybe a lot of people, just fans of Formula One in general, maybe breathed a bit of a sigh of relief, maybe even just half a breath or sigh of relief. Because, I mean, it, it was just so sad and so frustrating and just pathetic watching it them was. struggle the past couple of seasons with uh, the Honda engines. I mean, I keep thinking about at uh, Sochi last year when poor old Fernando didn't even make it to the starting grid. And you hear the, him on the, the race radio arguing with the engineer and his race engineer was, well, try flicking the switch uh, another couple of times. He said, I've already tried that. Why don't you come out here and try that? Yeah. And just all the frustrating and sad moments. So, I mean, it was great to see. It was great to see. I mean, I'll, I'll be fair though, Kevin. I wasn't overly impressed by them in, uh, in qualifying. They didn't nope. make the top 10 shootout. Yep. But I mean, in the race, I think that uh, they played their cards well. I mean, obviously, Fernando with a P5 and his teammate Stoffel van Dorn with a P9. I think that uh, that's a very, very promising start to 2018 for, for yeah. McLaren. There's a big disparity in the time of Alonso and van Dorn, too. So that just tells me the value of van Dorn versus the value of an Alonso. But uh, I agree with you. But there's one thing that I need to, to, to stress. McLaren hasn't truly tuned up or set up a car in a few years. They were just trying to survive, just trying to make the car work. Just make it start. Just make it hold together. So they're not used to setting up a car to try to get faster. So it's going to take a few few races or a few weeks for those instincts to come back and then be like, oh, yeah, that's how we do this. I forgot. forgot that's well, how you tuned up a car to make it faster. Racing and winning is in McLaren's DNA. So definitely the, a big you know step why? in the right direction. I think it's the orange, and I think we should start right there. Yeah. What did I say after Indianapolis last year? What did I say on this very show after the Indy 500? I say, Mark, you know, that McLaren car, orange, and the blue letters and the blue, I think it's going to come back to F1. I think it's going to be what this Indy 500 venture would have been all about is rediscovered that branding, quote unquote, in industry term, or rediscovered that identity and bring the identity back to Formula One. I guess I was onto something. I guess you were. And I mean, Fernando's car at Indy last year looked absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it just looked sexy. I mean, when you think about the winning cars that McLaren have over the years, everybody remembers the Marlboro McLaren branding from the 1980s and the 1990s when they actually had successful Honda engines. You think about those silver arrows and the the, the, the West cigarette branding, which is obviously a, a thing of the past, 15, 20 years ago, again with the Mercedes uh, power. Those were iconic cars. I mean, they're obviously very competitive and they look great. And I think that over the past couple of years, I think they kind of got away from that. I, you know, two years ago, I honestly, I didn't have a problem with the all black McLaren. I actually thought it looked uh, pretty cool, but 
last the last year when they kind of went Button, that sort like, of like 50 50 it had yeah. a little bit of that mclaren orange on it and then the black and that said uh, that orange or sorry that the, the white sort of stripe in between it to kind of separate the two colors i thought that it was it, it didn't work it just did not look right but when you see it on the car this year and you just see it in all its glory it's like yeah that works and it looks like a million bucks and that's it looks like a McLaren should do. And I mean, it looks like uh, a throwback to the 1970s, the 1960s, when they first started building their own cars. And it looks absolutely spectacular. I love it. Love uh, it. And those two colors, you might think, ah, I'm not sure if they're going to work together. I'm not too sure. But they do in action. And on the car, they look great at high speed. They look great. And uh, we love the fact that there's no more shark fin this year. But there's a damn halo. And I, I think we need a moratorium, <laughs> Mark. We cannot talk about the halo every show. It's no. here. It's going to stay. It's part of it. So we're going to have yep. to deal with it. And I think there's no need to complain every show about it. No. It was funny. I, I was uh, thinking to myself, watching uh, qualifying and practice in the race over this past weekend, that given the uh, if I had to take one or the other, the shark fin or the halo, I think I'd go with the, the, the shark fin. Yeah, but I'll take the shark fin. All day, all day. <laughs> in the week. But, you know, the, the funny thing was, Kevin, is that for all the hate and all the criticism, yeah. at times I didn't even notice the, the, the halo. I mean, it is only really apparent in certain angles. It depends on the when, car, too. It depends on the car and yeah. how they treat. And I think we'll include the, how you handle the halo in our critique segment. So the way McLaren handled the halo it's a bit orange, but it mostly fiber, carbon fiber. It does, it highlights it. I don't think it blends into the chassis of of McLaren the Halo. So for the Halo incorporation into the design of the car, I give like a C for McLaren. But for for the livery in itself, I give an A. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the livery in general. I think the uh, the, the the orange uh, body with the uh, the blue. Uh, Chandon uh, on the uh, on the wings and also on the I guess the fin on the back of the airbox uh, looks uh, looks pretty good I mean they complement each other great I think uh, they look very good I thought they maybe could have done something better maybe a little bit more like the Ferrari or the Williams or the uh, the Force Indias for example that use their own colors on the halo but you know in general and critiquing how the car looks that's a very minor issue in general I think it looks like a million yeah. bucks Exactly. Let's move to another car that I think is very good looking, and that's the brand new Ferrari. How many times did I complain the last two years that Ferrari was not the right red? It wasn't red enough. It wasn't Ferrari enough. They brought the right Ferrari red back. Yeah, it's red. Hey. It's the right red. It looks good with the red halo and the logo on it. It looks sexy. I love the new Ferrari. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing again. I mean, it, it looks wonderful. They got that that proper Ferrari scarlet red and a little bit of the uh, the Italian tricolore on there as well. And it, it's interesting, too. The I think that what stands out for me is just the way that they've really blended in the advertising on the car. It looks more subtle than it has in, in, in past years. And to me, when I saw the Ferrari this weekend, it was more red rather than uh, than advertising. I mean, like the yeah. shell, the UPS, the Ray-Ban uh, advertising on the side of the car isn't really all that small compared to past years. But I think that the way that they've placed it and the way that they've done it is very smart. And it, it looks mm -hmm. like a Ferrari. 
and uh, and hopefully it'll uh, live up to the, uh, the the DNA that uh, that that the Ferrari has and and lives up to the, uh, the the way that it looks. And the Ferrari logo on the actual halo makes it look cool too. And yes, and I yep. think that's something that is uh, across the board too. The return of the actual name of the team on the car. Another thing that I've been talking. Did Liberty Media listen to us, Mark? Is Liberty Media listening to our podcast? Because every single advice we said last year kind of has come true but because uh, yeah the the renault written renault in the back and uh you have a uh, haas of course but you have like logos of cars and uh, it's kind of slowly going back to this and less commercial like a little bit less obvious at least uh let's go yeah. to quickly on the mercs because the mercs well they're just the same as last year uh, outside of the new tamil figure partnership at the front and mm -hmm. a black halo the Mercs look exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't really change the design or the the aerodynamics on the cars all that much. I mean, they seem very much to be subtle evolutions from year to year to year. And the one thing is that when you look at the W09, the first thing you say is, yeah, that's a Mercedes. It looks right. It looks fast. And that looks like a, a winner. And like you say, just some very sort of slight uh, changes to it. And uh, obviously the biggest one, like you say, was the uh, the Tommy Hilfiger branding on, on there as well. But again, another uh, lovely car that uh, that Mercedes has designed. And obviously what we've seen over the first uh, race is that it looks like they've designed another winner, even yeah. though they didn't actually win the race. Exactly. Oh, and, the, <laughs> and the halo is black, but because of certain amount of black on the actual design of the car, it kind of blends in more. So I'll give him a B. This yeah. car surprised a lot of people a few weeks ago when it was unveiled. The Alfa Romeo Sauber were far, far away from the terrible-looking Saubers of the last few years. And no offense to Sauber, they had like two weeks' notice to start the season. So it's not their fault a few years ago. But you can tell that the partnership and now the Alfa Romeo branding, which means an influx of money to Alfa Romeo Sauber, really shows, at least on the design scale and performance a bit. Leclerc was able to get a little bit something good at this car at some point. Uh, but you do see at least an improved chassis and an improved look, at least for the look wise. The Alfa Romeo Sauber looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. I, I like the color combinations that sort of like that reddy brown maroon color that they have on the airbox with the Alfa Romeo logo and that uh, that really nice white color. It works. And uh, it was funny when we were looking at the, the new cars as they were re released over the winter. And when we saw the Saubers in the new livery, my my wife and I, we kind of looked at each other. We're like, geez, I mean, you look at the Sauber <laughs> from last year. It's about 180 degree, uh, you know, change from the the blue and gold that they had last year, their, their 25th yeah. anniversary. But I think that this is a, a big improvement on it. So obviously, the car itself has a, a lot of work that needs to be <laughs> yes. done to it. But. But it looks, it looks like it should be good, right? That's what you yeah. wanted the car. It looked like if it was at the front with the color scheme white and red, it would not seem out of place because we're used to seeing white or red cars at the front. So I think that's in the mind. Uh, one of the most disappointed libraries, and that's been the case for me for the last few years, is Red Bull. Uh, why matte black? Again, I don't know. Same thing coming back. Pretty much the exact same design as last year. The only difference is Aston Martin... Yeah. On the back wing, very, very big on the DRS, and you see the Aston Martin logo there. Uh, but it's pretty much the exact same design as the past few years. Yeah, I, 
I, I admit that when they came out with that uh, that matte finish to the uh, the car, what was it last year, or has they gone with it very the year before? Years? Like it's even the year I before twenty sixteen. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, but uh, I think for me, just like uh, yourself, I think that it's come the time has come for a bit of a refresh. I mean, it's it's not horrible, but it's not really knocking my socks off compared to to some of the other ones. I mean, when like we were saying, when we look at the McLaren, I'm like, wow. When I look at the uh, the the Red Bull, I'm like. Yeah, that's okay. Meh. Yeah, that's what I am. I am <laughs> exactly. Meh. Meh. Another team that that gives me meh, and it's too bad because I'm wearing their polo right now. It's Williams. The Williams mm. looks good. Like the chassis itself, the lines of it looks good. It's just a shame that it's terrible. But the halo looks great on it. The way it's incorporated, and it's a little thinner at the bottom, a little thicker at the top, and there's like a an aerodynamic component to it. So. It does blend in more with the car than others, but we know the car is terrible, and that's a shame. But you do see a nice-looking Martini Williams, but it looks the exact same as the last three years. And maybe, like you mentioned, maybe it's time to uh, make that straight line a bit zigzag. You just change some element of design that would make at least the car stand out and not having to check at the metadata of the photo to know which year because it looks the same from 16, 17 to 18. <laughs> yeah, the only way you can really tell between this year and last year is obviously the uh, the, the addition of the halo for, uh, for 2018. But, yeah. you know, just to just to briefly go on a bit of a tangent, I mean, t- talk about a horrible weekend for them. I, I guess we've just strolled right past our usual segment, uh, taking a stroll with Lance, which yeah, was a, a regular for our done. countrymen <laughs> last year. <laughs> but, I mean, P14... I don't even recall seeing Lance during the broadcast, maybe more than once or twice. And yeah, when Charles Leclerc overtook him. That, that's yeah. when I saw him, is when a Alfa Romeo Sauber overtook a Mercedes-powered Williams. Yeah, and then just uh, going back to that uh, theme of uh, weird things happening, his teammate, Sergei Sorotkin, had his race ended yeah. after his uh, brake duct inhaled a plastic sandwich bag which caused the entire brake uh, system to overheat. Oh, and at gosh. one point, he actually lost all the brakes. That a, is another weird thing. I a hundred million dollar car is broken by a hundred penny bag. Yeah, exactly. There's there's like maybe like a quarter of a cent of plastic in the sandwich bag. And that's what brought you know this multi-million dollar engineering wonder to a screeching halt, literally. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely boggles my mind. Uh, quickly finishing off here, uh, the segment of fashion and the show for today. Renault, uh, it's a bit of different type of yellow. It's the same yellow, but the, the, the pattern is a bit different. But it's the same idea. It's yellow on black uh, Renault colors of today. It looks all right, but nothing to call your mother about. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, uh, it's, it's not horrible. It's uh, kind of middle of the road for me. Uh, again, uh, yeah, it, it's not... One of those ones that kind of makes me like, mm, yeah, that's completely horrible. Middle of the road, not really knocking my socks off. I would give it a, say, a C plus. Give it a six out of ten if we want to go on the number scale. All right, Toro Rosso. Uh, a lot of change for Toro Rosso, but the Honda presence and the red line. I don't know. There, there's a lot more Red Bull than Toro Rosso in that. Not the color scheme, but just it says Red Bull everywhere on that car right now. There's not a lot of other sponsors on it. I don't think it looks that it's a bit different in way looking uh, like you can tell on the screen right here. It looks a bit different than others. It's a bit more streamlined. It has some different curves. It seems to handle pretty decently, uh, but uh, it's, it's a mech car. There's nothing special and there's not enough change or 
or I don't know. There's like a lack of concept. There's just a lot of colors on the blue, and there's a lot of white on it, and there's a lot of lines, but there's nothing like that. There's a lack of maybe continuity or or thought. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The house, well, the house look exactly the same, so there's no need to belabor the point. There's a bit more white, <laughs> yeah. but it's exactly the same. Force India is the last one. Now, Mark, Force India looked, uh, well, I have to say, I kind of like the a bit less pink than last year. They've broken the pink a bit with a bit of white here and there, and it kind of makes for a faster-looking car. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell why, but it makes for a crisper looking car with a bit less of pink yeah actually last year when they they announced that they were going to that uh like that pink color after the last several years with like the predominantly the black with a bit of uh white in it which i thought was a, a really nice paint scheme actually but i thought it was a bold move i thought that the pink when they they went to it last year actually worked but i really like the way that they've broken it up this year like you say, they, they've added uh, the, quite a bit of white into it. And I think that the uh, BWT, their main sponsor, I think that uh, the blue for uh, for that uh, for their branding, I think it all goes together quite nicely. I think it uh, it stands out nicely. And they've got a couple other different sponsors on there, like Claro, NEC, and Hype. They're all uh, black on there as well. And I think it looks really good. I think that all the colors go together nicely. I think all in all, it's a nice looking car. But uh, unfortunately, they kind of went backwards on the grid, at least uh, during Melbourne, after they were, I'd say, the best of the rest of the rest uh, last year. Because there was obviously, we had Ferrari, Mercedes, then we had Red Bull, and then we had Force India and everyone else. So at least they look good. We'll see if they can turn it around next week. Yep, exactly. We'll be back next week with... uh We'll see if we come back before Bahrain or review Bahrain. It's still up for debate. Mark and I will talk about it. But I'm excited to have this season start again. A lot of brand new hopes, energy. Uh, I was excited watching the race on Sunday. Well, Saturday morning. Uh, Well, Saturday night. But uh, yeah, I'm excited, Mark. And I'm looking forward for the rest of the season. Me too. It was a great way for me to start off the year because, first of all, I was at BC Place in Vancouver to cover the Vancouver Whitecaps and the LA Galaxy. And, Kevin, I looked every inch of BC Place looking for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And I can say for a fact that he was not in Vancouver. And if if he was, they hit him very well. And I didn't even – I looked also for Chris Hemsworth, who was there. Didn't see him either except on the big screen. But (laughs) confirmed, no Zlatan in Vancouver last Saturday night. But then after that – Straight home to relax, watch the Grand Prix, and it was uh, it was a great Saturday night, uh, fun way to spend an evening of work and play. No, exactly. And Mark, uh, where can the listeners follow you on social media if they want to make sure they're always up to speed with your opinion on Formula One? If they want to follow my personal account, that is at Mark J.R. Daily, and that's with an E-Y at the end. That's uh, my own personal thoughts and musings on Formula One. For the show Twitter account, that is the same name as this podcast, at Scuderia F1 Pod. And, of course, we also have a Facebook page of the very same name where we post occasionally and where you can find all the links to the live stream and the video stream. Yep, and you can find the video edition of the show on the Sports Podcast Network's YouTube page, which is located at youtube.com slash sports podcast network, and as well on our Facebook page. After the fact, I will post the video of the show you can listen to us 
uh, when we do the show live or on demand on sportspodcastingnetwork.com or anywhere you get your podcast. That would be Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, uh, iHeartRadio. Whenever you get your podcast, you can find the Scuderia F1 podcast under the Sports Podcast Network feed and on his own as well. Mark, thank you very much for your time tonight. It's always a pleasure and uh, I, I kind of missed you. I missed you too, Kevin. It's been a long winter, but hey, we got 20 more Grand Prix to go this year, so we'll be talking a lot between now and then. And as always, until next time, have a great Formula One. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?